You may have noticed net zero, carbon footprint and ESG appearing more in conversation in recent years. It's all part of a growing shift towards more sustainable practices across real estate. And it affects us all, whether you're an investor, a landlord or an occupier. Hello and welcome to our sustainability-focused Trends and Insights podcast. I'm your host, Russell Handy, and I've been writing about the built environment for around 15 years. Today, we're going to explore the relationship between sustainability and real estate investment, where we've come from, where we are, and what's coming next. In a period of significant disruption to business norms, ESG investing is outperforming standard investment models. The impact major external events can have has never been more pertinent. At the same time, new regulation is coming into play in Europe with big implications for investors and net zero ambitions. Today, we'll be homing in on two areas, taxonomy and sustainable finance disclosure regulation, SFDR to you and I. We've got two experts on hand to help, the first of our guests, Tom Branchick, is a sustainability specialist here at JLL, supporting clients on their sustainability reporting. Tom, welcome and thanks for joining us today. We've been talking a lot about ESG and real estate in recent years, but do you think we're really starting to see some progress now? It's probably not been happening at the pace people feel is necessary, given the challenges we're facing on issues such as climate change. Progress is there. But what's been slower is the development of mandatory frameworks and benchmarks. And I think this is where it's easy to look at this and think actually not much has been happening, where in actual fact it has. Thanks, Tom. We're also joined by Ali Ingram, who is a director in the European Office Investment Team at JLL. Ali also took on the additional role of sustainability lead at the start of last year. Ali, welcome. How are you seeing real estate investor attitudes change in terms of ESG? It's massively increasing. It's a recent PwC report that was released at the end of last year found that 77% of institutional investors are going to stop buying non-ESG products by 2022. So in my opinion, the real estate industry, we have a lot of work to do, you know, in order to maintain its attraction as, as the asset class that it is and continue to attract investors. Just, just purely on the E side of things, and, and focusing on Europe, 75% of buildings in Europe are currently energy inefficient. So the scale of retrofit and capex liabilities for the industry, quite, quite significant in order, you know, if we want to meet these net zero carbon targets. That sounds like a serious challenge, actually, to me. Is it one we can meet? We have to. Let's look more closely at SFDR then. For anyone who doesn't know, Tom, can you capture what SFDR is? So this comes into effect from March the 10th. It requires what the legislation calls financial market participants who market financial product into the EU to disclose at both an entity level and at the product level extent to which they integrate sustainability risks into their investment decision making process and whether sustainability risks will have a, an impact on the returns of the financial product. And this information needs to be disclosed on the company website and also in pre-contractual disclosures. And secondly, they need to disclose whether they consider what the legislation calls the principal adverse sustainability impacts. So what negative impacts does it have of their investment decisions? Even though it's SFDR, it's European legislation, every single fund which markets to EU investors now has to comply and disclose how they integrate ESG into their investment decisions. So this can include the US or Asia Pacific funds of investors, which I, I found very interesting. It's been brought in and it will basically eliminate greenwashing 
because you can no longer say we've got an ESG fund, this is this is a great ESG fund, because the first question you can ask is, well, actually, what article in the SFDR are you complying with? Greenwashing is a word we've heard often in the industry, but how will these articles help? Article 6 is all funds, and it's sort of the minimum requirement, so I would call it a non-ESG fund. And then Article 8 is sort of general ESG or or light green, I've heard it referred to. And Article 9 is really the holy grail, sustainable or dark green. They're funds that have a really strict mandate. So the fund documentation will say that they're they're a net zero carbon fund, for example. Right, got it. It sounds a little bit like school grades here then, doesn't it? Let's say 6 is okay, but 9 is top of the class. Let's turn to taxonomy now then. Tom, what do investors need to know And what's the timeline? It's less urgent, is that right? It is. For a fund which has an ESG characteristic or objective, they'll need to provide a a narrative disclosure and a quantitative assessment of the proportion of the underlying investments in the fund which are aligned um, with the taxonomy. The taxonomy is really focused on the E in ESG. And the taxonomy is essentially six objectives which the EU has defined. The only ones which companies really need to worry about are the first two, climate change, mitigation and adaptation. These are the only two which the criteria has been defined by the EU and released and that covers technical criteria about what exactly a product um, or an investment needs to do to be taxonomy compliant. Ali, if we can come to you now. We know the public and wider business world are keen on accountability, but how is this public disclosure helping? What's been the reception of the real estate industry to this? I think I think it's really positive because it's basically transforming the way that we define sustainability. It's really encouraging a lot of transparency, which the industry needs in order to, to meet these targets. So I think it's a positive thing, but it's going to be quite a challenge for certainly those sort of private equity type groups. And what about how investors will be classifying their funds? Many investors are just saying, look, All our funds are going to be Article 6 as of March 10th. However, what we're going to do is we're going to transition our funds to Article 8, which, remember, is the light green by the end of the year. And this is pending discussions with portfolio managers because it's, you know, you've got to make sure that your strategy is aligned. I really like this colour coding, Ali. It makes a lot of sense. Is it fair to say some are playing wait and see on this? Definitely. I think with all with all new legislation, we kind of want to see how it plays out. But there's certainly an idea to, you know, there's, there's a strategy to see, you know, what will the implication be if you don't transition to Article 8? What will the impact be on your funds? For example, will it trigger early redemption or not? That's going to be quite interesting to see how it plays out. Those Article 8 funds as of 10th of March are going to be funds that have really strict ESG criteria already a part of their investment story. You could have a fund that's a renewable energy infrastructure fund, but they still might not want to comply with Article 8 because it wasn't set up as a specific ESG fund, which I found quite interesting. So, so far we've been talking about SFDR, but investors out there also need to know about forthcoming EU taxonomy. How do they fit together? Taxonomy becomes the framework of choice for determining what a sustainable product is. I think that will come with, with, with the degree by which companies align funds uh, with the taxonomy against which the taxonomy is seen as a, as a target and an aspiration to work to. I think it's partly because the SFDR is coming first. It's first in line. So a lot of people I've spoken to are just getting their heads around that, quite frankly, before they look at the EU taxonomy. But at the same time, 
they need to be taking into account the EU taxonomy because they don't want to get, it's not coming out until next year, they don't want to get till the end of the year and realise that, you know, the way that they're investing and the way that they're underwriting um, acquisitions hasn't really accounted for any EU taxonomy alignment. Some of the anecdotal feedback I've had has been mixed. So some, I find that some investors who are already quite engaged on the topic are wary of creating another label. As one said during a recent webinar I attended, the only thing a label tells me is that the fund has got a label. But I think there's a difference between the engaged investors and the investors who are not so engaged. And they look for external frameworks and benchmarks to kind of make that decision process easier for themselves. The degree by which the taxonomy is used and the targets companies set themselves will be largely defined and dictated by the extent there is demand from investors. Yeah, I mean, the taxonomy is great because it gives us a definition. And now we have a measurement tool, which is universal, which is which is really positive. What about areas where there could be some improvement to this? You know, my only criticism is there's there's quite a lot of focus on a threshold, a percentage threshold of alignment. And although there is periodic reporting, there's not a lot of guidance on how to get there and how to focus on the transition which I think is really what the industry needs right now. It's not currently in its current form defining what is socially sustainable. This might come at a later stage, but could you have an impact fund that is very much on the S side of things, but has a very low taxonomy alignment because of it on, on the environmental, the, the energy side of things. So there's, there's quite a lot of interesting things that I think will evolve in the coming months. It's only the Article 9 that actually states you need to consider an alignment, but there's no there's no percentage or guidance given on what actually has to be. So I could only guess that there, you know, it might be more like 50% of AUM will have to be at EPCA rating versus 5%. It sounds like these new regulations will bring transparency, but there's also a certain level of ambiguity to this. What kind of issues are there right now for people who are still grappling with this, Tom? So I think some of the challenges the industry um, could be grappling with is exactly how to measure what taxonomy alignment means. When you look at assets under management, do you record the percentage of floor area of assets which are taxonomy compliant or the percentage of net asset value which is taxonomy compliant? It's very much focused on environmental objectives. Because there's no minimum threshold set for a fund to be taxonomy compliant. There's still a lot more information to come out on the EU taxonomy. To be honest, I'm just really interested to see what percentage of alignment the real estate industry has, you know, as, as this comes into play. There's really a focus on energy efficiency because I imagine it's just something that we can measure. Ali, alignment then, let's, let's just think about that for a second for investment managers. If they are aligned, are they automatically at an advantage? Well, I think it's going to be interesting to see what the impact of non-alignment will have on fundraising and returns and investor interest, to be honest. I mean, ultimately, yes, would be my answer, because the data shows that this is an increasing focus of investors. But I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how, as a fund manager, you set strict ESG targets, whether that's EU taxonomy alignment or whatever article you want your fund to comply with, and return hurdles, because I'm still trying to understand, you know, core funds have, you know, they have a lower return. But if we if we look at EU taxonomy or net zero carbon sort of targeting, 
Do we need to invest CapEx to get to those levels? Will value-add funds, they have higher capital allocations usually to invest in retrofits and refurbs, so might will they end up outperforming the market? Getting buildings up to scratch isn't going to happen overnight and it's going to take time. But what about the specifics of EU taxonomy measures for buildings? There are going to be guidelines around water usage. There's going to be a focus on circular economy. So the new construction, 80% of materials used on site must be available for recycling or reuse. If you're using timber, 80% must be recycled or sourced sustainably. We know how important benchmarking is already to funds. What about Gresby? Where does that fall into place with this new legislation? Are those investors who are currently participating in Gresby at an advantage? By participating in Gresby, you'll be putting yourself at advantage because by its nature, it's a demanding sustainability benchmark. There is a statement in the SFDR disclosures that Article 8 and 9 funds do need to provide an explanation of how their objectives are met and if they use any indexes. So you can use GRESB, for example. It doesn't necessarily, by definition, mean that there's an advantage, but you wouldn't be doing GRESB if you weren't looking at these issues already. And of course, at some point, we've got to talk about returns. Ali, we hear a lot about green premiums. Do you think assets in these Article 9 funds will command a premium? This idea of green premiums is at the heart of every discussion at the moment that we're having with investors, with valuations, because we're trying to justify that CapEx spending with higher rents, higher value. And for now, because of the demand and supply imbalance, it's there, it exists. So a lot of tenants, a lot of investors are looking for these green buildings. There's not many out there. You're going to see a slight premium. But it's important to also consider, you know, the brown discount and the future discount of, of, of the value of the asset if you're not complying and if, if you're, not, you're not investing in these sort of technical upgrades, for example. Because there will be a liquidity risk applied at exit because the incoming buyers, the more ESG savvy they become and the, leg, the, the legislation is certainly pushing everyone to integrate it anyway, then whoever you're selling to will be taking this into consideration. So I like to see it as you know someone has to pay for that capex. It will either get passed down or be negotiated in pricing, but it, someone will have to pay for it eventually. And I think the earlier you act, the better. So we've had a lot of information from you both about what's happening now. And I think for most investors, it's just getting their heads around it. But is there anything else on the cards they should know about in terms of other legislation? Later in the year, we'll see what the EU calls level two legislation, which will define really what those negative um, sustainability impacts are and how they should be measured and recorded using specific um, KPIs all these different frameworks and benchmarks and disclosures which we're getting asked about. I think there needs to be more guidance on how we get there. And you know, this is great to say this is how you measure it, but you know, how do we get there as an industry? We simply can't keep focusing on brand new Brian buildings. They're they're sustainable. We need to be focusing on, you know, the existing stock and the historical buildings and, and how we make them more EU taxonomy aligned, energy efficient. And for that, we need to be measuring embodied carbon. I think there are as far as I'm concerned, there are plans to bring that into the legislation, but it's not for a few years' time. So it's something that, that we definitely need to be focusing on. We could also keep assessing how we measure the social sustainability. The more we can simplify, the better. I think that's a great point to end on. We've covered a great deal about the benefits of this new regulation, but also the challenges real estate investors are facing. I'd like to thank our guests, Ali and Tom. Thank you, Russell.
It's been a pleasure. And to our listeners today, of course. Do get in touch with JLL for more info and be sure to check out our recent overview of SFDR and taxonomy. Don't forget you can subscribe to Trends and Insights and keep up to speed with key trends in the real estate sector. Just visit the Trends and Insights hub on JLL.com. Until next time, goodbye. (laughs) 